This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the Week 11 college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Look, I can't believe it's November. We have college football playoff rankings to talk about. We have huge games that are going to affect the college football playoff rankings next week and the college football playoff. Uh, We're going to get to all of that. Uh, But first, uh, let me bring in Colin. What's going on, brother? Live from Vegas. Yeah, live from Vegas here, uh, taking a look at Raiders' new stadium. It's almost, uh, you know, they're putting up the walls, going to be completely built. And the only thing I could think of is, like, I love how the Vegas Bowl just booted the Mountain West out, signed a deal to get an SEC or Big Ten team in. What a hot bowl that's going to be. Cause I, and I wonder if they're going to move the timing, too, because usually it's the first weekend where all the RNL Carriers Bowl, the Dollar General Bowl. I wonder if they're going to keep the Vegas Bowl as early, the early signing period uh, that they have. And just the timing of it. I wonder if they're going to move the Vegas Bowl to the end of bowl season, because it's just going to be such a mega premiere. Let's first talk about college football playoff rankings before we get in to a lot of the games. Ohio State number one, I think the well-deserved number one. The thing I don't like about that is that on Saturday, it's just an aesthetics thing, we won't see Alabama versus LSU one versus two. Um, well, you mm-hmm. might. I don't know if they show the AP or not, but it's two versus three this Saturday. It doesn't really matter. LSU comes in at number two, Alabama number three, Penn State number four, and uh, Clemson comes in at number five. You've heard some rumblings that Clemson's mad about that. We'll talk about that later. Then Georgia, Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, all the way down at number nine. Rounded out by Florida at number 10. Look, people get all upset about these things. They'll work themselves out. I mean, like LSU plays Alabama this weekend. Penn State plays Minnesota. You know, They have more games to play. They'll play Ohio State. They tend to work themselves out. Now, you might have a four versus five controversy at the end of the year. But whatever, Clemson's going to go undefeated, and they're going to pass at least one of these teams, uh, if not two or three. The one thing that surprised me is Oklahoma at nine. Um, I thought they would be a little higher, but losing to Kansas State, you know, who's looked good and is now ranked, I didn't think it would hurt them that much. But they're at number nine, um, which might hurt their chances if they 
win out. Um, so what are your thoughts? Any, mm-hmm. Anything that just bothered you? Hey, nothing really bothers me. I understand, you know, having Clemson at number five and including Penn State based on what's happened so far this year, especially with strength of schedule, what Penn State's played so far and gone on the year, uh, gone on the road and won so far this year. So I don't have any problem. I mean, it's all going to wash itself out. I think the most important thing, and as far as Clemson being favored by what I said, 10 and a half, that's what we power rated at. I saw Matt Lindemann of Circa put out a projected line. He said, if Clemson played Penn State, we'd make it minus eight. I'd be the first in line to bet Clemson. I don't think people realize how good this defense is. It's one of the most Not unspoken. Not if I beat you in line. <laughs> True. I mean, I think one of the most unspoken things is what Clemson has done on on the defense after losing so much NFL talent. They look so fantastic. One of the best defenses in the nation. It's not being talked about enough. But I think the important thing from the rankings is not really the top four. You need to pay attention where Georgia is and where the SEC loser of Alabama LSU is going to be in relation to Oklahoma winning the Big 12 or potentially Oregon and Utah winning the Pac-12. Are those teams going to end up hopping a one-loss SEC? We're going to find out how far they drop Alabama or LSU. Like, you know, where is Georgia going to go? And will these conference champions with one loss hop a one-loss SEC team that's considered an at-large? That's the huge thing I'll be watching for this upcoming week. Yeah, because the interesting discussion is going to be if Alabama wins a close game this week, and LSU loses, then obviously they're not going, you know, most likely not going to the SEC championship. And, you know, if they win out and only have one loss, but they're not going to go to the SEC championship, could they still get in with one loss being at them, especially in a close game? That's one of the most interesting things to me. Um, You know, say LSU has one loss at Alabama and Oklahoma wins out and wins the Big 12 championship. Who do you take? So um, that could that could become really interesting. But We'll have a lot, lot more pod, many more podcasts, uh, live shows. By the way, ten thirty a.m. Eastern uh, each Saturday, ten thirty-five between ten thirty-five and ten forty. Um, we usually hop on. We'll tweet out the link. Um, I'm at I'm at Stucky two. He's at Colin with two L's underscore then Colin with two L's and the number one. Um, but let's get into these games. That's what everyone's here for. And like we've done the last couple weeks, let's start with the marquee games of the weekend. We have two marked down here. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 11. Let's start with the big one. Number two versus number three in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, number one number versus number two and others. This game is enormous. Uh, the line has been bouncing all over the place. I'm talking about LSU Alabama, obviously. Uh, this will be the three 30 CBS game. All eyeballs will be on this. Uh, right now, it sits Alabama minus six and a half. Over unders at 63. Open lower, was higher, came down, seems to have settled. Uh, there's obviously you know, speculation with Tua and his injury and whether or not he'll play. You know, Saban has come out and said he will play. How mobile will he be? We don't know. I don't know how good Alabama is relative to the top five. They're obviously a top 10 team, probably a top five team, right? And they if you look at any advanced metric, even opponent adjusted, they're going to be in the top 10, five, right? Like even on defense, just because of their talent. Mm-hmm. But when you go up against another top five team and they haven't played anybody, I mean, they, they often they, they played zero good teams. Well, who's the best defense they played? South Carolina or Duke? I don't know. Opposing offenses that they played. I mean, nobody. I mean, Ole Miss put up 35 on them. And coming into the yep. year, we said that the... Their front seven, you know, after losing a bunch of NFL talent, will be worse than we've seen in recent years. We also made the statement that the turnover in the assistant coaches that we've seen in recent years may start to have an impact on Alabama. And we both said, look, they'll get to this point undefeated. Uh, it's not like Alabama's going to go from the best team in the country to number 20. 
we're just trying to figure out if it's a drop from like one to eight, nine, or ten. We're going to find out this weekend. Now, what I do know is that if Tua is healthy, they have the best passing offense in college football. Their receiving core is ridiculous, and they could play Little Sisters of the Poor every weekend. You would see that. And on the other side of the ball, what I think uh, when I look at is LSU is a passing-oriented offense, and they're explosive, and they've showed that, and they've had a tougher, uh, much tougher schedule than Alabama. But you might want to run the ball against Alabama. That's where I think their weakness might be. So from a matchup perspective, maybe this is a good thing for Alabama. Having said that, I know LSU is really good and one of the top five teams in the country. Alabama is probably, but maybe they're closer to 7, 8, 9, 10. I don't know. But I think with two is health questions – this might be a chance, and special teams, huge advantage for LSU, by the way, which we'll write about in our preview. This might be a shot, and this might be a teaser for my money line, or my underlog money line parlay, to take a shot with LSU on that premise that maybe Alabama does take a slight step back. Maybe Tua isn't 100% healthy, and you know I've been impressed with this LSU team all season long. So it's a tough game to cap, and it would probably be a good game to bet live, especially if you see Tua, and there's going to be some scoring. But that's how my initial thoughts of the game. It's really hard to know exactly where Alabama is in that top 10 because they've played nobody yet. Yeah, exactly. They've played nobody, and when they have played some sort of passing offense, they've been exposed a little bit over at the middle. You look what Plumlee did for Ole Miss. Uh, Texas A&M was able to generate explosive passes through the air. Uh, I think both of these defenses, and you'll hear this in my interview with Brody, both of these defenses may be considered a little bit soft over the middle, and I think that's exactly where the attack is going to come from, from both offenses. Yeah, and you mentioned that. Let's get into that, and then I'll let you finish up your thoughts. Earlier this week, Collins spoke with Brody Miller, who, for those of you that listened to our preseason previews, he came on on our SCC preview uh, to talk LSU. Uh, so Colin caught up with him on LSU and this game. So let's play that interview now. How's it going today, Brody? Just trying to keep my head above water in Alabama week, but good to take a break with one of my favorite shows. The news is flying back and forth, but let's start with Joe Burrow. He's just been so excellent at quick passing, quick hitches, slants, shallow crossing routes. Will Burrow have the success attacking the inside linebackers? Do you think that's going to be Joe Brady's plan of attack is to hit those inside linebackers of Alabama and then maybe check down to running backs in space, and then that'll set up the play action and the deep shots? I think you pretty much just hit it on the head. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the season from start to finish, the overall game plan of this team has been quick passing, make the defense creep up a little bit, set up shots downfield. And if there's any team where you kind of have to do that most, it is Alabama. You have two freshman inside linebackers in the middle of the field. You have really good safeties and corners on the outside. The really only chance you have in the passing game of having success is those, you know, underneath routes and whatnot is definitely kind of the early strategy there. And then, and then maybe set up things down the road. And like you said, I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire could be a really big piece of this game for a lot of reasons because, you know, you don't really trust those Alabama linebackers completely right now. So the idea of maybe getting him in open space on some checkdowns could be really effective against a front seven that just isn't your normal Alabama front seven. Let's talk about Tua real quick. The Montgomery Advisor had an article come out this week talking about the tightrope procedure. They had two different physicians in that article. You know, really the takeaway for me was the very last line where the physician, who's an expert and has done this tightrope surgery, he was quoted as saying, if Tua Tagovailoa plays within three weeks, 
it's a miracle. Now I go back to a tweet that you put out about Glenn Logan had this exact same procedure and it took him four weeks to return to action. Is Tua able to have some sort of miracle-like effect according to a physician? Yeah, it's it's been truly the most exhausting storyline of this past two weeks because you hear one doctor from one outlet is saying that he actually is going to be better than people think he is. Or then you have quotes like that, that it's going to be a miracle if he plays. And with the Glenn Logan one, I mean, it's accurate. Yeah, it took four weeks. The only thing I'd maybe point out is I remember hearing in that week or two leading up to his return that if he needed to, he, he probably could have played against Utah State. They just weren't worried about it. So I think that kind of almost gives you that perfect in the middle answer of three weeks tells you that he probably can play, but it also tells you the two probably won't really be 100%. And that's, that's kind of the most exhausting point of this conversation, right? It's a matter of like, there's no really way to quantify that. And that's what's kind of made this all so exhausting. We go back to that, you know, Tua in the playoff last year was coming off this injury, had more time to recover. But once he took his first couple shots, I mean, he just got stiffer as the game went. So I think something like that's going to happen. So whether it's Tua or Mac Jones, Alabama is expected to do much of the same that LSU's game plan is. I think there's going to be a lot of shallow routes, getting Devonta Smith, Ruggs, Judy, Waddle, get them in space and let them have their yaks. How big is the loss? You wrote up a piece. Everybody should read it over at the, at the Athletic. You wrote up a piece on Michael Divinity, the linebacker that has been dismissed from the team. How big is the loss of Michael Divinity from a pass defensive perspective, considering that Christian Fulton and Derek Stingley are two of the highest ranked defenders in passes defense? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things going on there, right? Where it is, it was worth saying that Alabama and LSU are very similar in so many ways, both sides of the ball, where if you're going to attack LSU anywhere, it should be in the middle of the field. I mean, the linebackers aren't exactly great in pass coverage. Kerry Vincent at the nickel spot is not quite as talented as, you know, your Stingler or Fulton on the outside. He's had some big errors this year. You've had tackling issues at different times of the year. And while I think they've addressed that, that's still a thing lurking in the background. So I think if you're going to attack them anywhere, it's definitely there. With the Michael Divinity thing, it's, it's tricky because eight weeks ago, he was the starting inside linebacker, and I think that would have been a massive loss. But because he already was held out of three games with previous disciplinary actions, Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips have turned into really reliable inside linebackers. So he, they took that spot from him. And then Divinity basically became marginalized and got the field sometimes. But in the grand scheme of things, he became just like an extreme luxury third down pass rusher. And to be clear, he's a really good one. I mean, he leads the team in sacks with three while missing three games already. He's genuinely good in that four-man pass rush unit that they go to on third down, third and long situations. They go with Caleb on Chason, Justin Thomas, Michael Divinity, and uh, Fresh and Marcel Brooks. Well, Divinity and Thomas, both within the past two weeks, have been basically, for lack of a better term, dismissed from the team. So now you're replacing two of those guys. There are a lot of interesting things going on with this pass rush if it's chicken or the egg. And it's been really difficult to figure out because it hasn't been that productive. But on the on the rare times where they've really dialed it up, they've been really successful. So I don't know which mm-hmm. I should lean more on. Yeah, I mean, that's that leads right into our next question, which LSU is 70, 70th in sack rate. And I don't think that that's a reflection of talent. I think that's a byproduct of Dave Aranda maybe holding back a blitz package, uh, maybe mo- dropping multiple defenders into coverage because his offense has such a big lead and teams are already in passing situations when they're coming out down by 14. So is it safe to assume that Dave Aranda maybe has been holding back the blitz packages, uh, you know, keeping them off film? And that possibly he has two different set of schemes uh, as far as blitzing the quarterback, whether it's Mac Jones or whether it's Tua. 
First off, I absolutely think there are a lot of things in the pass rush that Dave Rand has been holding back. And, and one thing I'd point to is there is yet to be a single game this year where from a game planning perspective, they were focused on, you know, attacking a quarterback. You know, Sam Ellinger, for example, their game plan in that game, even though it turned out incorrect and they admit that, their game plan in that game was, you know, more of a cage rush. And they weren't mm-hmm. trying to get sacks. They were trying to make sure he didn't scramble, which failed, by the way. But still, they weren't really trying to get an aggressive rush there. And then, you know, you go to the Florida game. Another one that kind of failed, but still, their game plan was more, they played zone, they didn't really rush extra bodies early in that game, and their game plan was more thinking this kind of inexperienced quarterback would make mistakes. Kyle Trask picked them apart in the first half. And then second half, Dave Randis said, all right, we're going back to man, which LSU does very well. The pass rush got after it when he finally dialed it up. And then you also go to the Auburn game. They were just focused on stopping the run and were not worried about Bo Nix, so they didn't have to get as aggressive. And Grant Delpit, the, the All-American safety kind of set after a really good pressure he had against Mississippi State, and he's like, I love when, Co- when you know, Coach Randa dial, like, gets a little more creative because that's when the genius comes out, and he's like, well, we still have most of it in the bag. Like, we still haven't used most of it, which tells you a lot right there. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect like the cage uh, scheme to come into play against Tua, especially <laughs> if he's hobbled. So we'll see if they send any blitzes up the middle. So uh, does the loser of this game, you think, completely your opinion, does the loser of this game, do you think, gets into the college football playoff? Alabama, I think we're at the point now, unless some crazy things go wrong, I think I say no. Mm-hmm. I think if Alabama loses this game, they uh, 11-1 and Alabama would only have one quality win against Auburn. And Auburn's a team with two losses itself. So they really just wouldn't have any impressive win. And it seems like it's a year where there's actually a good amount of legitimate contenders. I just have a hard time seeing that come, come, come to fruition, especially when you know, and Nick Saban's been open about it being a weaker Alabama defense. I just don't see it. LSU point of view, I think 24 hours ago, I would have said no doubt in my mind a one-loss LSU gets in. They have the best resume in the country of any one-loss team in that scenario. I mean, it it seems like a no-brainer. And I still feel like they would, but what I'd point to is I'm a little surprised they were number two in the college football playoff ranking because that tells you something, right? That tells you that, one, they're looking at how you play, things like that, so they like Ohio State more. But two, they're already starting to devalue that Texas loss quite a bit. Rob Mullen didn't even mention the Texas win when talking about LSU's resume. And then, so they're not too high on that. And then the, the Florida win looks a little weaker every week, even though I still think that should be a good win. And the Auburn win, all of a sudden, you, you can tell the playoff committee doesn't feel as strongly about it as we all do. So all of a sudden, I'm a little less confident. I still have a hard time seeing any other one-loss team being ahead of them. And I, if I had to put odds, I'd say, like, I feel 70% confident they'd still get in. But I, but 24 hours ago, I would have said 95%. So, you know, take that as you will. So let's talk about Joe Burrow's Heisman odds real quick. Do you think... Joe has to not only just win this game, but do you think this is it? Or do you think still that a loss to Georgia in the SEC championship would uh, maybe deter some votes his way? I think if he wins this game, he pretty much has it wrapped up just because the Heisman falls in love with storylines, right? There's no better storyline than Joe Burrow because, all right, he's at a school that has literally never had a quarterback, that's never had a modern offense. He brought them to the promised land. He would have beaten the school that the school flat out couldn't beat for eight years and taken down this mighty giant. And he would have knocked out the only other true, like, real bona fide candidate going up against him right now. If he wins, two is pretty much off the board. I think that's safe to say. Chase Young, I love that that's a real candidate. I love that concept. But at the end of the day, I just don't know if America's at a point where it's really going to pull the trigger on that. But my gut tells me if Burrow wins this game, it's his. Let's wrap it up with any <laughs> predictions. Do you have any predictions for this game as far as player props or winner or number of points scored? You know, I saw the, do you think there will be a score change in the fourth quarter? 
I just, everything in my core tells me this is going to be a shootout. If it's a shootout, that makes me think they'll be kind of back and forth. So I kind of like a yes on that one. This is Brody Miller from The Athletic. Uh, Brody, you got anything else you can uh, point us to? Story today, basically talking about that exact thing we just discussed with Dave Aranda, maybe keeping things hidden. So I'd point people to that today. Awesome. He's Brody Miller of The Athletic. Thanks for joining me, Brody. Thanks for having me as always. Take care, man. All right. Thanks for that, Colin. And uh, thanks for joining us, Brody. As always, great stuff. Um, so, all right, you, Colin, let's wrap up your final thoughts, your pregame yeah. positions, and uh, what you plan <clears throat> on adding, if anything, and then live. Yeah. So, uh, as far as the side goes, I think it's pretty self explanatory. A look ahead line was LSU plus eight. I didn't have any problem taking that because we power rated it at seven. I took five and a half uh, on the open market this week. If you can get this game, you know, get, if you can lock in six or seven in a game like this where you power rated in the middle, you got to, I mean, you, you got to do it or at least, you know, try to do it. And that's what I kind of try to do with the total because my expectation the entire time was that Tua was going to play and that if, and, you know, the total has kind of been thought of as if he plays and he's 100%, the total should be at 69. If he doesn't play and it's Mac Jones. It should be around 63, 62. So that's really what the market has been overreacting to. There's some other noise out there about these two teams are going to try to establish the run, try to you know run the ball and and keep play keep away. Both of these teams are at bottom ten in the nation in rush explosiveness. I mean their success rate is okay, but once one of these teams has two scores, a two score lead on the other, you can ditch the run. I mean we are going downtown with these passing offenses, and I think. From a pregame position, yes, right now I'm sitting on a lot on over 63 and a half, over 64. There's going to be a flurry of scoring during the game that's going to get that live total up at 67, maybe 70. And at that point, I'm going to come back and play the under for a little bit live. So you guys can look for that on the action app. But I'm trying to middle both side and total in this game. Uh, if I had to be in a pick and pool, I absolutely would take over 63 and a half. And I would take Alabama in this instance because there are just things with LSU's defense I think that they've given up way too many explosive plays. I think the narrative around Alabama has been a little bit harsh. I think they're going to remind us who the number one team is in the nation. So I think they get the cover here, but I'd be happy if it landed at seven. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I, I don't know if I'm going to get involved yet pregame. I mean, I it's it's a game that I want to see play out. I think I'll be able to get, you know, whatever I want to get live in the especially from a side perspective. You know, if it goes back up to LSU plus seven, plus seven and a half, I, I might have to think about backing the Tigers there. But it's it's just it's a tough game to cap because, you know, with two is injury status and then with Alabama's schedule, it's just very difficult to know exactly where Alabama is relative to these elite top five teams. One thing I don't need the game to start playing to know this, because LSU has Christian Fulton and Derek Stingley, two of the best corners in the nation, especially in passes defensed. I'm looking at taking player props on wide receivers for Alabama, not named Devonta Smith. Like I'm looking at Judy, I'm looking at Waddle, I'm looking at Ruggs. If I can find TD props, if I can find reception props, uh, you know, yardage props, I'll take them because I think, you know, anybody that's not being guarded by Fulton and Stingley in this game, I think is going to have a lot of success for Alabama. Keep your eye out for Delpit because I'm sure a, a, a big turnover will be enormous in this game. He, they weren't allowing him to practice like out in open public this week. Like they were keeping his particular workouts private. Yeah. Edo did say he's going to play. We'll have much more on this game. Huge betting guide. Uh, we'll have up on Action App and ActionNetwork.com. We'll obviously talk about this on Saturday morning as well. Let's move on to the second marquee game of the weekend uh, between two, also between two undefeated teams, and that's Minnesota and Penn State. Speaking of, I said that LSU will have a big special teams advantage. 
Penn State will have a big special teams advantage in this game. Minnesota, as good as they've been, their special teams have been really poor. They really miss Emmett Carpenter as one of the best kickers in college football last year. Uh, they have a freshman, Michael Lance, uh, who's only five of eight on field goals. That includes two misses between 30 and 39 and a miss from 50-plus. So something to keep in mind uh, on Saturday. But look, Minnesota, it's sort of like Alabama, except we know Alabama is elite, right? We know that they're a top five, top ten, at worst team, maybe best team in the country. You know, because they're getting five stars. Minnesota is not obviously getting as talented of players as Alabama does. And also, they've been played nobody. I mean, their schedule, like Alabama, has been a joke. Now, in fairness, and, and beginning of the year, they bar- they barely beat Fresno State, Georgia State, South Dakota State. Now, in fairness, as soon as it got to conference play, they've been rolling teams and comprehensively, which you have to credit them for. What I do know about Minnesota, I like their secondary, and I like their secondary coming into the year. You know, they have some really good pieces. Antoine Winfield Jr. is one of them, um, you know, in their secondary. I still don't know how great they are in the trenches on defense, but I am a buyer in this offense. I mean, this is what an offense that you can watch, regardless of who they're playing, and understand the talent on the offense. I mean, Rodney Smith at running back, uh, Tanner Morgan has been absolutely outstanding over 65 percent completion percentage 18 touchdowns four picks um you know and then they have you know two really good receivers led by tyler johnson who's going to play at the next level so i really like this offense and you know from an an efficiency standpoint they're top 10 in the nation i mean this offense is real the defense their numbers look good but again they've played nobody let's be honest uh and then on the other side of the ball you have penn state you know, Penn State has cost me a lot of money. I've, I, I look, and I've had to adjust them. I adjusted them two more points after the buy because I'm like the market. I'm so different from the market. And I keep losing money, but I still only make this game four and a half. So take it for what it's worth. I can't get a good read on Penn State. Now they've had quality wins, maybe not that impressively, but they, you know, what they, what Penn State has done this year, you know, their offense doesn't look that impressive if you start digging outside of the first quarter. And this is one of the biggest things that I noticed when I was digging into Penn State is I kept thinking back and I say Penn State every week goes up 21 nothing and then does nothing on offense. So I don't know if this is a scripted play thing where they're just, you know, they have a young quarterback in Clifford. Their running game is meh at times. Obviously, I have K.J. Hamler is one of the most explosive receivers in the country. But I don't know if their, their scripted plays are just so good and then he's so comfortable. We saw this with Mitch Trubisky before he just imploded. Last year, he was actually pretty good. You know, in, in in the first quarter, in the scripted plays portion of the game, and then he just would become Mitch Bortles. And maybe that's what we're seeing here. But Penn State against Power 5 teams, I don't care about the Idaho game or Buffalo, but against Power 5 teams this year, and that includes all of their Big Ten games, you know, against Michigan, Iowa, Michigan State, good defenses. Pitt, too. They outscored their opponents 56-3 to in the first quarter. They allowed three points in the first quarter. First half, 125-30. to you know, in the second half, they've only scored a combined 59 points. A couple other things of note here. James Franklin is a favorite. Nails. 40-27-3 against the spread in his career. Only Gundy, his Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State, has been more profitable against the spread of active coaches. If you include all coaches over the past 15 years, active and former, only Stoops, Trestle, and Gundy have been more profitable as a favorite than Franklin. But the way that I look at this game is I'm not sure how good Minnesota's defense is. You know, but I do think that their secondary maybe can match up well. I know Penn State's offense has some explosives. I do like their defense a lot. It's a top 10 defense. But I also really like the Minnesota offense. I think the over-under is a little short at 48, 47 and a half. I'm going to look at the over. And also, 
I, I my numbers make Minnesota. If I can get seven flat or seven and a half, I have I'll have to look at Minnesota and probably lose money again. But I'm pretty confident that <laughs> based on what I've seen, I'll be able to get seven or more early because this is what Penn State has done, and I think that they're going to follow the script again. Maybe get an explosive play early. Uh, Minnesota comes out a little too jacked up for the biggest game, maybe program history, um, according to Fleck, and. It's, you know, maybe they come out a little too jacked up. Penn State takes advantage, go up 7, 10, nothing, and then I can get Minnesota. So that, those are some of my thoughts there. How about you? I think everything you just said is 100% spot on, and I echo completely. I, I think that's a great handicap. There are things about Minnesota that bother me. Like, both, there's things about both these teams that bother me. I mean, Penn State's bothered us all year, but I think you are so spot on with the Sean Clifford and the, and the scripted plays because we talk about how they come out, and sometimes Penn State, from drive to drive, will look like a national championship contender, and then some offensive drives, they look like the bottom of the Big, of the big Ten. So it, it just doesn't make And most sense of those drives that are good are, are early. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, and you think about Penn State, Iowa. I mean, that was a two point conversion away from us covering on the Iowa. So, I mean, th- some of these spreads have come down to like, you know, just a single play uh, at the end, you know, and, and even Michigan was able to get back in the game. And then there's the whole Buffalo thing. But Minnesota's got their own warts, you know. I mean, their strength of schedule is outside the top 80. They gave up 30 to Purdue, Georgia Southern, a very, very young Fresno State that had one of the lowest returning production ranks for a roster coming into this season, scored 30 on these guys early on Minnesota. They were trailing South. South Dakota State late in that game uh, at the beginning of the season. So I don't have any love for Minnesota. And it's the same thing that I said in our Big Ten preview earlier this summer. I said, I just don't think they have the talent to hang with the big boys in the big games. And that would translate into here. Now, I am kind of playing that whole Clifford angle. Things are scripted. Listen, Penn State has been fantastic in the first half lately. Ever since they were trailing Buffalo in that game, in the past five games, Penn State has allowed just 20 points in the first half. They are allowing an average of four points in the first half. So I was happy to go ahead and take Penn State in the first half, getting into that whole scripted plays, and then maybe they'll go into a funk in the second half. But there's just one stat that I can't get over, and that is Minnesota is 126th in opponent red zone scoring. I mean, they're allowing just like anybody that gets into the red zone to score points. So if Penn State can at least get there, then they're going to be able to score some points, especially a touchdown. And the thing about Minnesota, you're right. The reason why they might cover this game, which actually if I had to take a full game, I would probably take Minnesota because they probably wake up in the third quarter, fourth quarter. Penn State maybe has a slide. But Minnesota is second in the nation in defensive pass explosiveness. And I think they're going to be able to lock it down at some point and be able to keep the game close. And there's just a lot of things with Penn State that we have, you know, they're hot one minute, they're cold another. I'll ride them in the first half. And if a live number pops on Minnesota over seven, I mean, like you, I want that seven too. And there's, there's, you know, there's some sharp shops that are taking it down to six this afternoon. So I'm happy to sit back and let Penn State get a lead and give me seven, give me 10 on Minnesota. It's the biggest game of the year, but I love how PJ Fleck gets that contract extension going right before a couple games where he could potentially get blown out. Yeah. Smart man. Row the boat, Minnesota, big 10 futures have a shot. Um, But yeah, I love the Minnesota offense. I know they've played nobody, but no matter who they've played, the defense has questions. As you said, you can look at some of their scores. And Penn State, I, I do have questions about their running game. But they've played Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. You know, these are stout, stout front sevens. Much, I think much better and far more superior than what Minnesota has in the trenches. So I do think Penn State will be able to move the ball on the ground. I think it's a, you know, it's a an over that not many people are talking about. I think, yeah, it's two Big Ten teams. The Penn State defense is really good. Uh, But I think there are many more questions about the Minnesota defense than there are with the 
Minnesota offense. I think that this could be higher scoring than many think. You know, Minnesota has the deep ball going for them, and that's how you beat Penn State. You could beat them deep. You can throw it over 20 yards and get some yardage on Penn State. And by the way, just to wrap up that Alabama LSU game, I mean, this is a you know a series that's been dominated, dominated by Alabama. Alabama's won eight straight in this rivalry. They've won 31 straight games at home. Um, so that's what LSU is going up against. Um, all right, let's go as we do each week through each conference. We'll pick out a couple games here and there that either pique our interest or that we bet ourselves. Uh, Colin, you have gotten a head start on me this week. I had to finish up college basketball prep, so I am in catch-up <laughs> mode. In the AAC this weekend, not much out there except for two things that jumped out of me, and I'll let you go on these two games. You mentioned something that I saw on a tweet about ECU, SMU, and I was afraid that you were going to fall in love with ECU again. They're catching 21 <laughs> at SMU off a loss. And then you mentioned something to me in Slack today about thinking Connecticut, who's a 35-point underdog at Cincinnati, could beat Cincinnati. I asked if you were drinking in Vegas. You said yes. So I'm going to chalk it up to that. But uh, go ahead and did talk briefly on those uh, two AAC games. Let's start off with the easy one real quick. So it's, hey, it's Holden Ayler's Awareness Month in November. Last year, he had a, a touchdown interception ratio of 10 to 2 in the month of November. He is fantastic. He showed up last week and, uh, you know, gave Cincinnati a real scare. Cincinnati was able to pull away there at the end of the game because of a Holton Ayler's pick six. But, you know, the Pirates, I, I think that they are going to be in trouble in this game. SMU is going to get back on the track. There are things with their, their passing success rate and passing explosiveness. They're going to be able to expose the ECU defense. But who can't expose the ECU defense? They're outside the top 100 in almost every Thing. So I am looking, I mean, I power rate it right on the numbers. So I would like to get SMU at minus 20 and a half. So I'll sit and watch that. But there's just a monster havoc discrepancy here. SMU is 11th in the nation in havoc. ECU is 95th in havoc allowed. Uh, they have a problem with ball protection. That's every Pirates game I've watched in the last couple of years is ball protections. ECU, SMU, does SMU go over for a 10th straight game this year? Absolutely, right? It's, it's the seeker. It's We're back on the seeker. The best kept secret in college football. SMU has The Seeker. They call me The Seeker. I, what I love is that you and I are going to be looking during spring practice next year about who's got the seeker on their field for the spring game. So, <laughs> UConn, Cincinnati. Yeah, I just slacked. I admit, I, I might have had a Bloody Mary this morning, and I just started looking at the board, and I thought, man, Cincinnati's box scores have looked really shitty the past few weeks. Let's do a deep dive and see what's going on. They gave up 638 to ECU. They were outgained by Tulsa, outgained by Houston, outgained by Central Florida. And through those games, the Bearcats were plus 10 in net turnovers with Tulsa, Houston, and UCF. And I mean, the, Cincinnati is just barely getting by. The record is not indicative of how they've done their past few games. They've been lucky to win a lot of these games. It's been based on turnovers, but the, the defense has given it up to everybody. Their offense has not been as uh, efficient, has been as effective. So I look at this number and I make it, what, 32? So, I mean, 35 is, is a little much. So that would turn me on to taking UConn anyways. But then I start looking at UConn's, and we've said this before, why I've liked UConn to cover a couple numbers, especially against Houston. You know, they're 16th in rush explosiveness. And Cincinnati is 75th and and allow and opponents rush explosiveness. So, you know, they're allowing big plays on the ground. I think UConn can at least cover the number. But from what I'm reading from Cincinnati's box scores the last few weeks, they are due for an eye-popping loss. I mean, something that's just like, whoa, where did that come from? Cincinnati's right there. There is a 35 and a half here in town being offered by CG. And that happens to be where I'm staying this week. So you're going to see a 35 and a half um, uh, come through the pipe here in a little bit. I mean, I can see your case for an upset coming. I just don't think it's this week, especially after surviving last week. 
I think you'll get them at least more focused from the get-go. But it is uh, interesting. I mean, that was the thing that popped out to me. So I agree with you, the gaudy numbers that ECU put up uh, against Cincy last week. Um, All right, so let's move on to the ACC. Let me give my, you know, square take of the weekend. You know, the first thing I, I saw when Clemson was rated fifth in the college football playoff is an article about, Dabo's response to it. He actually thought it was at 7.30 p.m., but it was at 9, so he missed it live because he was eating cake with his grandma um, or his mom's birthday or someone, his mom or his grandma, I forget. But then he was getting texts. He said the only reason he found out is getting texts from, you know, his players saying, like, gas up the bus, let's go, fifth, what is this? So my square take of the weekend is, look, I've been on Clemson, I was on Clemson against BC. They're starting to wake up. They're starting to hear the disrespect, and uh, you're seeing the Clemson that we thought we'd see from the beginning of the year. This is a spot where you'd think they'd want to come out and say, hello, everybody, we're still here, uh, and and then go out there and just absolutely blow a bad NC State team out of the water. The number doesn't have that much value, so that's why it's my square take of the weekend. Any thoughts on that, game? Yeah, there's no value in this number whatsoever. I mean, I the national narrative now is Clemson's going to be pissed. Clemson's going to blow NC State out. I'm like, listen, okay, well, we make the game 28 and a half, so 32 is a little much. And even 17 and a half for the first half, I mean, that's a lot. But the first half is where the work is going to be done. Trevor Lawrence is going to come in, get his 175 yards, his three TDs and no INTs. But really, for me, this game is about NC State being 110th and rushing explosiveness allowed. That points to me saying Travis Etienne is going to have a huge game. I want to keep an eye on the run-pass ratio and how far Trevor Lawrence is actually throwing down the field and if he's hitting guys on the run. Because the big knock on him at the beginning of the year is that he was just throwing it up on the sidelines, letting T. Higgins, letting Justin Ross go up and get it, and he wasn't getting in sync with guys. Pay attention to the Clemson film. If Trevor is hitting guys 40 yards down the field and they're in sync, this Clemson team is going to be a play-on team for the rest of the season. I just want to make sure all those kinks are worked out. I'm not going to buy it this week. It's a little expensive at 17 and a half in the first half, a little expensive at 32. But if I can see Trevor hitting guys, not just in space, but if he's not just throwing it up and, and letting it be in tip balled, a la Stanford last year, if he's hitting guys on the run, then this is a team I'm going to back the rest of the year every week. I, I agree with you. I, I think the sharp way to play that square take is play the under in the game. You know, this mm-hmm. NC State team stinks, by the way. They scored. I mean, this is a team. You saw Syracuse against BC get absolutely trucked. And by the way, BC ran for 460 yards. Very good rushing offense on NC State. So I agree with you that Syracuse can just run all over them, which will keep the clock moving, even though they might just be chunks. But this is an NC State team that scored 16 points at home for Syracuse. Um, they are not good. And look, they scored 10 points last week against Wake Forest. I think this Clemson D comes out fired up. They get shut out. Maybe it's like 45 seven. You know, and the total's down to 54, 38 7, 41 7. Maybe Clemson post a shutout because they easily could do it if they want. I was thinking maybe I should take an NC State team total under, but then I thought about Walford uh, scoring some points last week. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Louisville's in a good spot, right? You have Miami coming off the Florida State yeah. win. Louisville off a buy. Is it worth buying Louisville? It's uh, under seven. I mean, it's a perfect spot. I haven't bought into this game, but I mean, Satterfield's getting a, a week off. If you look into his history, how good he's been off of a bye week. What is a team's record? Miami played so well last week. They played so good last week. Their in-state rival fired their coach. Now, what is the all-time against spread record for a team the week after they make their their rival fire their own coach? So you can't imagine that, you know, Miami's as up for this game or, you know, that this, I mean, it's just a spot 
Louisville falls really nice into on the schedule. If Miami's defense is still, you know, extremely up for the task as far as uh, passing success rate, rushing success rate, then they should shut Louisville down. But I mean, if Miami's defense is dragging just a little bit than what they are in usual weeks, Louisville's going to have a chance to score here and cover the number. Yep. Uh, anything Duke, Notre Dame, which is a game that is happening that no one is talking about. Notre Dame obviously survived um, Virginia Tech. I don't know how last week at home. Uh, they're laying eight yeah. in Durham. Anything there? Yeah, I think we're supposed to play Duke here. You look at the box score from that game last week, and Virginia Tech had had every reason to probably upset that game, and they were a 17-point dog. Duke's got an extremely good opponent passing success rate. So defensively, they're 27th in the nation at, at uh, stopping the pass, which is going to play into what they've been able to do against Ian Book. Duke is, you know, ranked right up there in the top 40 in Havoc and Havoc allowed. They don't beat themselves. It's just a trade of a Cutcliffe team. So, you know, I think eight is probably too many points and, and definitely worth a play. But we'll see how far this steams because it was seven for the longest time and it got up to eight. And if it wants to go up to nine and a half, I'll certainly let it before I play the, the Blue Devils. Yeah, we, I think we got tricked on this Notre Dame defense, which lost a lot. You know, when they, yeah. you know, they, when they beat Georgia, when, excuse me, when they covered against Georgia, they lost by six. I think it was more of a sleepy conservative Georgia than the Notre Dame defense, which I was ready to credit and say, look, look what they did against the run. Because in the next week they gave up, 20, you know, they beat Virginia, but Virginia had two fumbles. That game should have been a lot closer. Then they beat Bowling Green 52 nothing. Who cares? The week after that, they should have lost to USC at home. Uh, they gave up 27 points and, right, uh, you know, yeah. to a freshman quarterback that's thrown all over. And then they gave up 45 to Michigan. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, they give up all those yards and should have lost to Vautech. Uh, so this defense, uh, I think, is not as good as I was ready to credit after all the uh, losses that they had after last year. Um, all right, let's move on to the Big 12, which if you're a bookie or a sports book manager out there, you're probably going to be keeping a close eye on the Big 12 this week outside of the two major games because there's going to be, I think, some lopsided splits here. Baylor minus 2.5 at TCU. Baylor's 8-0 against 4-4 uh, and TCU at home. Baylor's number 12 in the country now. TCU has quarterback questions. I think Duggan's going to go, but... They've lost two other quarterbacks, so that's a tough game to count. TCU's been a tough team to figure out. You also have Texas playing seven at home against Kansas State. Kansas State's on fire, obviously, off that upset against Oklahoma. They beat TCU, and last week they dominated Kansas. Texas should be getting a little healthier here, which should help, especially in the defensive side of the ball and in the backfield. I think that they can move the ball on the ground against this Kansas State team, hit some big plays. Uh, I think it's a good spot to back Texas in a Herman spot as a favorite. They're kind of like a dog as a favorite here. It's very odd, uh, but I'm sure books are actually going to need Texas. This line got steamed up to seven, which I missed. I'm hoping to get under seven again. Uh, then you have Oklahoma, two-touchdown favorite against Iowa State. Uh, I'm sure you'll get an angry Oklahoma team off of a bye. Lincoln Riley, two weeks to prepare. But Matt Campbell, his team, you know, also off of a bye. They are coming off a bad loss as well. He's been great against the spread in his career. I mean, 16.5% ROI. He's 53-35 and three against the spread, 60%. Um, talk to me about these Big 12 games. Yeah, I I love these games, and, and I've got to play in almost all of them, and some of them I'm just waiting on, especially with TCU. It's a game-time decision for Max Duggan. I mean, I hear that he is going to play, but still with his broken finger on the throwing hand. Uh, and there's things about that, you know, that Baylor game against West Virginia – there's nothing that West Virginia did that actually impressed me or anything that I took away from Baylor. And I'm thinking, well, I need to downgrade Baylor. I mean, the Mountaineers had a 95-yard kickoff return, and they had another TD from an explosive play at 82 yards. That's it. That's the only offense they had. I mean, it was really the Baylor offense not able to you know, put up their sh- lion's share of the points. Uh, the Baylor defense did 
everything that game. West Virginia made it to Baylor territory just three times and no points. I mean, Baylor shut them down from a defensive perspective. TCU had four turnovers against Oklahoma State. Uh, so, like we said, you, you mentioned their quarterbacks being hurt. Max Dugan's got a broken finger uh, on his throwing hand. Michael Collins has got some, I think, some internal injuries going on. Uh, and Alex Delton transferred out of the program just as fast as he transferred into the program. So I definitely don't want to lay into TCU considering the fourth string quarterback might be taking snaps, uh, you know, if, if, if Duggan can't go. So I'm waiting on this one. But if Max is under center for the Horn Frogs, then I am going to play on TCU this week. As far as Iowa State and Oklahoma goes, I think the number is just a tad too high. I think anything under 14 maybe is a light play on Oklahoma. Anything over, which it is right now as we're recording, is a play on Iowa State. Matt Campbell has kept this game the last three years. Uh, it's it, Oklahoma has never won by more than 10 points. So Iowa State's done a really good job at keeping this close. Oklahoma's 129th in the country in opponent rush explosiveness, but that's just not Iowa State's game anymore. David Montgomery's not there. They're 95th offensively in explosive rush. So as much as I'd like to call for an upset with Iowa State, I just can't do it. I don't think they have the horsepower to get it done. And and you know, don't know if Brock Purdy's going to be thrown all over the yard. Now Texas Kansas State probably my most favorite play of the week. Hopped on Texas early. I would still play Texas at minus seven. Uh, there are things that I am seeing with a regard to Kansas State being 119th in opponent rush explosiveness. Going up against Sam Ellinger, who's had two weeks to prepare for this game. Texas is second in the nation in first downs. They're third in the nation in third down conversions. I mean, uh, that's all it's going to be. It's going to be Texas first downs, third down conversions on the ground, running all over Kansas State. And Kansas State. I mean, they're just not a good team. That they're not. They don't know how to trail by 14 and get back in the game, right? I mean, some of these other games. The, the thing against Oklahoma, there was you know some miscues there by Oklahoma, and uh, I think Kansas just had a 35% post game win expectancy. So you could say there was probably a little bit of luck involved in that. And I think Kansas had just run their course. I mean, they had two huge games with their new offensive coordinator. Once you got all his plays, the Jayhawks plays on tape. I think Kansas State was able. That's a good coach, Chris Kleeman. But I just think this is a huge spot for Texas. I think they just run up the score here. It's uh, my favorite play of the week is Texas. Yeah, and Texas is secondary. They're getting uh, a couple guys back, and really important guys. And like that's where they've been really vulnerable. They've been one of the worst pass defenses in the country, not just Power 5. And that's not Kansas State's game at all. I agree with you on Texas. All right, let's move on here to the Big Ten. And I am kind of regretting <laughs> it because... It means I have to talk about Northwestern, who I played already and you played already. Mm. Pats, cats. Purdue, this, there's going to be wind. There's going to be high winds here. It's going to be cold. Noon kick in, in Evanston. Northwestern's offense is horrendous. I think they're bottom five in the country now. Um, it's really bad. But their defense is really good. It's a top 20 defense still in my book. And Purdue's mm-hmm. down to their fourth, fourth string quarterback. And if there's one thing... Purdue can't do on offense. It is run the ball. They cannot run the ball worth a lick. Um, they average 2.6 yards per carry. You know the only two teams that average fewer? Old Dominion and my favorite team, Akron. That's it. And now they're down to their four-string quarterback in wind. Um, I don't know how they really score any touchdowns. Northwestern are the best unit on the field by far with their defense. Uh, they're finally not playing an offense that's you know just explosive that's going to eventually break a couple plays. Uh, I think Northwestern finally gets another win here. Do you agree there? 
Yeah, I completely agree. I power rated this game minus three, so I was sitting around on Monday at Northwestern plus one, and I said, I can't believe I'm taking Northwestern, a team that is, I think, had, uh, uh, what, six, t- I don't want to, six touchdowns all year? I, I mean, it's, I, I was reading what they're, I was getting deep into the special teams, because I think special teams plays a really big role in this game, especially from a field position perspective. Purdue's had some monster problems uh, with punting. Specifically, you know, Braum came out after the Nebraska game and said, you know, we got lucky. Nebraska should have blocked some punts. Nebraska should have did this on special teams, should have, you know, should have won that game. It just plays into more Cornhusker narrative that they, uh, they're finding new ways to lose games. But Purdue and Braum, I mean, he kind of admitted after the game, like, you know, that we have some serious miscues on special teams. And I think Northwestern's going to take complete advantage of that. Do I like them at two and a half or three? Probably not. I'd probably play the money line. I'm not sure I want to be laying points with Northwestern. It is the side and it's the side that I'm on. But I think field position is a big deal. I think the rushing defense is a big deal. And Purdue's starting this walk-on kid, Aiden O'Connell, I think his name is. So, I mean, just uh, Northwestern gets off the schneid here. Purdue's going to get their seventh loss and that's going to be the end of their bowl hopes. And then, you know, Purdue's going to be a play on team next year. They're going to, they are going to be a win total over, uh, you'll see next spring. All right. And then elsewhere in the Big Ten, we already talked about the big game in the Big Ten, uh, but we also have another game involving two ranked teams, Iowa, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a nine and a half point favorite with a total of 38 and a half. Big Ten football, ladies and gentlemen. Also, you have Michigan State, a 14 and a half point favorite over Illinois. Pretty sure the books are going to need Michigan State there. I wanted to play bet Michigan State, but now it's over two touchdowns, oh, and they're missing some offensive players. It's bad. Any thoughts on – and then Ohio State's a 42-and-a-half point favorite at home against Maryland in a conference game. That's amazing, but I can't – I think the line's spot on, actually. Yeah, there's not going to be a play for me on any of these. Uh, you know, I I think Iowa-Wisconsin is done correctly. Uh, I do like Wisconsin to win this game. You know, Iowa – their problem is is they just – they're so offensively inept and they're just so old school thinking that I don't, I think when they get behind, they have a problem coming back. Right. I mean, they just don't have the type of game plan to ever be trailing. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have his way. Uh, He's going to have plenty of successful runs here, whether they cover the nine and a half or not. I don't know. The total is so low. Uh, It's a stay away game for me. Also stay away from Michigan state. I don't know how with this offense you lay that much. And it's so funny to think about Illinois because a few weeks ago I was laying Illinois and week after week after week and getting yelled at like you can't play Illinois. And then here we are. They're one of the hottest dogs of the weekend, but uh, I think Michigan State finds a way, at least from the way that I'm reading the market, they're going to find a way to blow out Illinois. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, but this Iowa team against Wisconsin, this is the type of offense that Wisconsin could shut down. Remember earlier in the year, they were just shutting mm-hmm. everyone out. Um, this is the exact type of offense that they can completely shut down and potentially shut out. Um, all right, let's move on to Conference USA. One team I think you have to look at is Southern Miss. They're laying seven against your UAB Blazers, but you know, Southern Miss is coming <laughs> off of Obai. UAB played better than the box score indicated, and their quarterback, I believe, is questionable this week. Tyler Johnson got hurt last week. But if you look at who UAB has defeated this year, Rice, UTSA, ODU, what are those, the three of the bottom five teams in the country? Uh, before that, they lost to Western Kentucky. Before that, they beat South Alabama. Before that, they won at Akron, and they gave up 20 points to Akron somehow. Um, and then they started the year with a win over Alabama State. I mean, come on. This UAB team has done nothing. We talk about Alabama and Minnesota's schedule. This schedule's a clown show. So I think you got to look at Southern Miss. But you, you wanna, you're interested in UAB uh, Southern Miss as well, right? What do you got there? Yeah, I mean, I took UAB on open at seven. The thing got, I thought I was getting great, I was going to have great closing line value. And the, and the thing is, is people are looking at that 30-0 to zero lead on Tennessee and thinking, oh, UAB is a fraud. Well, 
yeah, I know their schedule is the strength of schedule is 130th of the nation. It's really bad. I understand that, but I don't think I can contractually can talk bad about Bill Clark and the UAB Blazers after everything they've they've done for us here on the podcast. But you know, I mean, that 30-0 lead by Tennessee that was uh, you know. There was three turnovers by UAB, I think, in the first quarter that got them behind. So, you know, what's what's Southern Miss good at? Their their passing success rate of twenty second, their eleventh in explosiveness. UAB is fifth in the nation in opponent passing success. So they're really good at shutting teams passing game down. And you can't have an explosive pass unless you have a successful pass. So I, I liked UAB at seven, but man, this this number's all over the place. Got all the way down to four and a half. And then Southern Miss money came in hard, and it's pushed all the way back up to seven within a matter of, like, what, the last 12 hours? So, uh, you know, the market's all over the place, everywhere between seven and four and a half. I'm going to sit on my UAB plus seven. I don't think I'm going to buy out of it. I still trust this team, although what the market is telling me, I might be on the wrong side here. Anything on La Tech, North Texas? Wanted to say La Tech that Skip Holtz is is going to outcoach Seth Luttrell. I generally in the past I think he has uh, uh, covered against Luttrell and, and beaten North Texas every year. Uh, but there are some things with the with the La Tech uh, passing defense that I think Mason Fine is going to be able to take advantage of. So I do kind of like North Texas in the mean green here. Something's not right with North Texas though. La Tech's the quietest seven no. one team in the country. They are seven one. They're five and a half point favorites there. Down in the uh, we know down in Ruston where weird things happen. All right, let's move on to the section of the show that I've been dreading because we have to talk UMass <laughs> Army and let's this talk independence. I can't, still can't figure out which side or which total I'm going with here. This game is still consuming my thoughts. It's at 35-ish now. Uh, the over-under is 62, so Army's a 35-point favorite at home. The, anytime you have a, a double-digit service academy, double-digit favorite service academy, I always look at the dog. And then 35, I mean, you're talking about like 38, double-digit service academies are like 40% against the spread historically. Even, you know, since like 2003, 4, 5. If you go back to 1990, it's even worse. It's the higher you go in the spread, the sample size gets smaller, but the worse the results get. But then I have this UMass team, who is an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, this team is so bad, it is hard to put into words. I mean, I think they're like two, the, maybe the 220th best team in the country when you include, you know, FCS and FBS teams. It's really bad. I mean, Army, the only comparison I have is Army played Morgan State. They were laying 45 to Morgan State. More, UMass might be as bad as Morgan State. I'm serious. But you, uh, yeah. Army only won that game by 31. So, you know, everything inside of me says I have to take 35 with a dog playing against an option team, a triple option service academy. But I just everything I've seen with this UMass team is it's bad. So I think what I'm going to do is potentially wait to bet UMass second half. Um, and Army <laughs> is just really bleeding the clock out. Hopefully they have a big lead. They bring in some backups on defense. Uh, UMass gets some garbage points. And Army's been textbook all year in the way that you play them. And against Morgan State, Morgan State is one of the worst teams in all of college football. Morgan State was up 14-7 at the end of the first quarter. Morgan State. Uh, I mean, this is a Morgan State team. I can't believe I've said Morgan State so many times in this podcast. Morgan State last week lost 48 nothing to Norfolk State. And then in, in the opening game, you want to know how bad Morgan State is? Bowl, Bowling Green beat them 46-3 <laughs> in the opener. 46-3. So, I mean, just laying this many points with Army is dumb. I will have more on this game. I'll probably write it up. But I'm thinking second half as of right now. Uh, UMass, 130th in defensively in line yards, 130th in stuff rate, 126th yep. in sack, sack rate, 118th in opportunity. The reason why I think UMass ranks 130 130th yards per is, rush before you adjust yeah. like that they're playing against 
teams that just start running dies when they're up 50. UMass, I think, is ranked 130th because there's only 130 teams. I imagine if there was 166 teams, they'd be ranked 166th. There's not a spreadsheet in the world or an equation that can figure out this damn game. Model breakers, both these teams. Let's – anything on Liberty? we got to get our shout-out for our Liberty boys. Uh, any, Liberty, BYU. Uh, Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. I don't want any part of Liberty here. Uh, Liberty's trench was pushed on both sides of the ball by Rutgers. BYU has the Romney boys, the Romney passing, Romney catching. Um, you know, so uh, I think BYU is going to be able to eat them up in the trench considering what BYU has faced earlier this year, the number of opponents they've had. I think Liberty's just going to be outmanned in the trench. Yeah, third straight road game uh, also for... Liberty, and this is in altitude. Um, all right, let's move on to the MAC. And look, I didn't bet any MAC games this week uh, during the week because I needed a break <laughs> from the conference. I couldn't figure out. And it's been so unpredictable. There's no MAC games this weekend. Praise the Lord. Although we have Akron on Tuesday uh, trying to become the first team to avoid starting the season 0 and 10 against the spread. But there's no MAC games this weekend. But I did want to say, you don't know how unpredictable the MAC is. Miami, Ohio is. It's going to go to the conference championship? I mean, what? Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, uh, let's move on to the MAC. I can't, I can't, I'm not dedicating any more time to the MAC because there's no games on Saturday. That's all they deserve. Um, all right. Let's move on to the Mountain West. Uh, Air Force New Mexico was moved due to the death of the New Mexico Lobo play, the defensive tackle. Rest in peace and uh, this right decision there. So that one's moved, I think, to uh, a couple weeks from now. But oh. the game that I'm – there's two games that really caught my eye here. Wyoming-Boise – they're off a bye, but Sean Chambers, their quarterback, their running quarterback, they can't throw the ball. He's out now. Tyler Vanderball, who's been awful, he's more of a pocket passer. He's going to try to throw the ball. Boise got Backmeyer back, I think a game under his belt. I think the defense will show up here. This has Boise truck to me written all over it. And then later at night, Hawaii laying eight at home against San Jose State. This could spell trouble for San Jose State's secondary. Um, but San Jose State's right. been a covering machine, um, but Hawaii should throw all over them. Any thoughts on either one of those games? Yeah, Wyoming, you know, we wonder how Wyoming's been able to stay in these games. I mean, they're just their numbers are just atrocious, but what people don't realize is their havoc on both sides of the ball is what has been a deciding factor for them in a lot of these games. They're 21st in defensive havoc, they're 4th in havoc allowed. Wyoming has only allowed 28 tackles for loss. Nobody's getting into the Cowboys' backfield whatsoever. So, you know, we're going to stick in another quarterback, see how that goes, but over 14 points. I, I, even with the offensive line, I know it's a new quarterback. I think I think the spread is adjusting itself for that. I'm not trying to talk myself into a Wyoming, but I, I think above 14, I'm going to have to start considering them. Hawaii, San Jose State, this total is 77. I mean, my projection is like, it's just shy of 60. I mean, I, I went into the numbers and I really tried to make a case. And this is, I think, the Dick Tomey uh, inaugural trophy award game since he coached for both programs. Uh, I went into the numbers. I tried to make a case for the under, but it's just so atrocious what the past explosive December's are for both teams. I, I would not be shocked. I think they can't run the ball. Also, they're worse. They're just going to throw it all game. That's right. We're just going out there and we're throwing it over the middle. We're going to go 30 yards down the field on every single down. So even though my number says this should be an under game, I can't find any way either of these teams are getting stopped. They're not getting stopped on third down. They're not getting stopped on first down. They're not getting stopped on any passing play. So I'm not saying advocate to go out there and take an over 77. That's a ridiculous number. Maybe take a over first half or maybe play it live and get less than seven. I don't know, but I can't, I can't suggest an under. And it's such a huge, outrageous number. Yep, completely agree with you there. Um, all right, let's move on quickly to the SEC. Florida's 26.5 point favorites against Vanderbilt at noon, by the way. That game is oddly close some years, but Vanderbilt's down to what, their third or fourth string quarterback? Bad for Vandy. Uh, Arkansas, one point favorite at home against Western Kentucky. I feel like we're <laughs> going to see that uh, later. Well, I'll hold off on that. We already talked about LSU Bama. Ole Miss, 28.5 
point favorites against 0-8 New Mexico State, dumpster fire. I mean, I, I don't see much. Kentucky, a one-point favorite at home against Tennessee. Hit one game here. Uh, anything you want to talk about in the SEC? Uh, I'm going to punt on the Tennessee UK talk. Uh, I got an article out on the Action Network. You guys can go read about what I think about Lynn Bowden Jr. and uh, Tennessee in this game, about how, how that's going to go. Arkansas, Western Kentucky, let me just throw it out there. On a neutral site, Arkansas would be an underdog to Western Kentucky. That's one of the most amazing things. Ty Story comes back for Western Kentucky. You would think Arkansas's defense would know Ty Story, the quarterback for Western Kentucky, really well since he was Arkansas's quarterback last year. But John Chavis in this defense has not been able to stop anything. So I expect Western Kentucky to be able to get something through the air, something on the ground. Arkansas's defense may be the worst in the nation. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, we're playing K.J. Jefferson. This is uh, one of the highly ranked dual threat quarterbacks we have. That's great. And he was able to move the ball last week in some garbage time against Mississippi State. But Western Kentucky can stop things on the ground. Like, they're really good at, at you know, defending. They were great against a triple option earlier this year. So I don't think that, the, you know, the defense is, is is not, I would say, legit. But from a group of five standpoint, Western Kentucky has a pretty good defense. The fan base is controlling Chad Morris's actions now, now that we're not bowl eligible. And the crowd is desperate for some K.J. Jefferson. So I think, you know, Arkansas's defense can't stop it, can't stop anything. Take Western Kentucky here. And the under. And the under. All right, and before we go to uh, three and out, uh, let's touch on the Sun Belt. Give me one little tidbit people should keep in mind for the Sun Belt. Yeah, take ULM. Uh, they're going to be able to control the clock with the ground rush. I know I said this last week. They got up 14-0, and then they just got blown out by Arkansas State. Georgia State's very one-dimensional. ULM can do something about that. I like ULM to control the game on the ground. Take them out straight up. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Let's talk Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. This Tulsa team, every week, they get three extra points just because you're Tulsa, and there's value on them as a dog. And they usually cover, or they just not cover in excruciating fashion. See, Oklahoma State or last week against Tulane, and again, they really should have covered both those games. They're catching 17 uh, against Central Florida. That line looks like it's already risen to 17. It looks like it might tick up. Maybe to 17 uh-huh. and a half. I'm sure you'll get that at some point. Everyone and their mother will be on UCF. And we also have Washington, tough team to figure out this year. Uh, they're five and four. They're 10 and a half point favorites at Oregon State uh, over under 65. You like anything on Friday night? Yeah, I think I'm going to end up playing both games. I like the Tulsa side, especially if it gets a 17 and a half. Uh, I did like the under. Uh, I wrote it up yesterday, and the under's already ticked down to 69 and a half. Uh, historically, this has been a huge challenge for Central Florida in this game. Uh, the Knights have beaten Tulsa just once in their past seven tries. I think it's a problem with the 3-3-5 defense uh, that the Golden Hurricanes are able to play. Uh, I think that this is you know just going to be a spot for Tulsa. Their motivation, though, they're not bowl eligible anymore. They have enough losses where they're going to be counted out, so I think that needs to be taken into account, but I am going to be playing Tulsa. And then Washington and Oregon State, I just feel like, you know, Oregon State has finally been able to break through. They got some conference wins. They're rolling. There's a tough place to play in Corvallis. Uh, we'll see if Washington can pick themselves up off the mat after they have really nothing to play for. But the Beavers are outside the top 110 in opponent rush and pass explosiveness. I mean, Jacob Easton should have some success in a rebound game off of a Utah loss. I mean, if they have any dignity and they play anywhere near their talent, they should beat and cover Oregon State on the road. I know our projection makes this about minus 8.5 with a total of 54, uh, but I'm going to be looking to play a little bit of Washington here and, uh, you know, possibly play an under, uh, an under uh, you know, once we get to a key number. And let's go second down and talk favorite overdog. It's called the overdog parlay. Uh, where are you going here? 
putting Texas in every single thing that I can. Side, money line, doesn't matter. Texas. Just to be funny, because I haven't finished up my entire card yet, I'll say my favorite favorite <laughs> of the week so far is Northwestern. Two-point favorite. Oh it's, the uh, it's the only game I've bet so far uh, on Saturday. Uh, so it has to be my favorite favorite as of now. Um, all right, before we get out of here on third down, let's do our Moneyline Underdog Parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Uh, I already said mine. Um, look, I think it's a, there's a lot of different variables in this game that people are trying to guess at. So I think that the play here, if you want to play it, is, you know, if you want to play LSU and it doesn't go over seven, is LSU money line. You know, if two is banged up and if this, you know, Alabama defense gets exploited and it doesn't, you know, they're not as good as they usually are and we've seen in the past because they haven't played anybody. Uh, so I'm going to throw LSU uh, in there with all of the uh, variants that I'm expecting with so many variables that we're all trying to guess at. Yeah, I'm going to go with Western, and I like it. I'm going to go with Western Kentucky. I know that it's not that big of an underdog, but hey, this is a huge spot for Ty Story, their quarterback, to come in. Uh, But Arkansas's defense, like I said, can't stop anybody. And then go and look at Arkansas in the red zone. 121st in the nation in scoring percentage, 109th in TD scoring percentage. Western Kentucky's like top 20 in opponent red zone scoring percentage. There's going to be a lot. Arkansas may be able to move the ball with Grand Baby, and they may be able to move the ball with K.J. Jefferson, but they don't know what the hell they're doing once they get to the 20-yard line. Western Kentucky for me. There you have it. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. And thanks again to Brody Miller. Don't forget about the voicemails this weekend. Call, uh, you know, scream, cry, yell, uh, 575-655-0664. You'll find that number on my Twitter. Uh, we'll catch you all Saturday morning on the live show. Thanks for listening. Good luck this weekend, and we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.